0: This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirit solves the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. As a non-drinker, it never feels great when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, so Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42 are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails like the ones that you'll find in the Seedlip Cocktail Book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore N-A. So head on over to Seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is Seedlipdrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. But Alex. Yeah, Shane.
1: Let's begin this episode.
0: Let's do it. Hello, everyone. My name is Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The kids are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for a happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 109.
1: <laughs> and you know, it's going to be a good episode. I've got a feeling, Alex.
0: I, I have a feeling, too, because we have an incredible guest with Just us tonight. One
1: guest. And normally we have two But I think one is perfect number right now.
0: Oh, for our sanity. (laughs) But tonight we are so graciously joined by Dr. Tracy Baxley. She's a professor, a diversity and inclusion educator, a consultant, a parenting coach, a speaker, a mother to five children. And she's the author of Social Justice Parenting. So Tracy and I talk about raising anti-racist, compassionate and socially conscious children. And then we talk about something that I really like. Tracy coined a term called radical love parenting. It is such a great term and I love the way that she brings it to the parenting realm. So I I can't wait for you guys to hear this this conversation.
1: Now the term radical, I'm only used to a ninja turtle (laughs) saying that. So what actually does it mean?
0: (laughs) I'd say that in this term, it's not like a far out like the ninja turtles might say, but it is an all-encompassing and engaging, a very active way to bring love into parenting. And again, you have to listen to it. Tracy has a lot of great knowledge from her profession. There's just a lot of great experience as a mother of five. So check it out. And I know you will pick up one or 20 awesome things from it.
1: And a lot of people are probably wondering right now, why only one guess? And the answer is we are quite busy right now. I'm working on a pilot for a TV show, and booking two guests a week for the time being is just not possible. So, we are going to keep it with one guest, which still, these are long episodes. We're still going <laughs> to have about an hour and a half to two hour episodes instead of our usual two and a half to three and a half hour episodes.
0: Have, have we made it up to four?
1: Oh, we've had one episode that I was four hours. But maybe we had to remove the guest or something. There might have been like a controversy where we had to remove a guest right. and knock it down to three hours. But yeah, that's what's going on. I hope you. We're still trying to get the best guest possible. I hope you like this episode. You told me it was a very good. Oh, it's interview. gonna. Be,
0: it's awesome. It's awesome. Y'all are gonna like it. But Shane, cheers, my dear. Cheers. All right. So I know you don't remember. Sipping on us Paloma at the Mule one night when we had a date night, but it was a delicious tequila drink. However, because we stay alcohol-free on Saturday nights, we are doing a Panoma, which is seedlip Spice 94, fresh grapefruit juice, lime juice, simple syrup, and then just topped up with a little soda. And it is freaking delicious, isn't it?
1: I do like it. I wish I could appreciate the Paloma.
0: It's Panoma.
1: Panoma. No I wish alcohol. I could appreciate the cleverness of that name, but... Truth is, I never remember having the alcohol version of this called a Palo-
0: Paloma. 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 <laughs>
1: I don't know. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good name, but it's lost on me. Aww. And I, I do enjoy it. It's very refreshed. If, if we sound a little weird and rehearsed right now, I'll tell you why. We recorded a full hour and 10-minute podcast. Full
0: episode. After a full day of parenting.
1: And it went great. It started out a little weird. We were bickering all day, so there was some tension and then we, I don't know, worked it out, had a bunch of laughs. We, we were complimenting each other. It, it didn't get emotional, but it was just it was a good podcast and one that's very hard to duplicate. And there's something wrong with my SD card, whereas if you hold it a certain way, it clicks a button that does not allow you to record. It's supposed to protect things on the card from being overwritten. And I click that incidentally, without knowing that I did. And when I hit record, it didn't record. It just said card protected. But I'm used to hitting record and it recording. Anyway, here we are trying to duplicate that same magic that happened.
0: That episode started off with smooching, again, with us bickering. And then over the episode, we fell back in love. And then even after, Shane realized that none of it recorded. I'd say we were still in love and then we tried to do it a couple more times and we're just bummed out about you know all that magic being lost and I'd say I'd say the love's gone down two notches Alex
1: does not like me right now (laughs) we tried re-recording it again and it, it screwed up and then I stopped it and Alex got a little upset with me
0: I thought it was good
1: but before that happened I was giving Alex a compliment that one of her best qualities is her ability to forgive me when something that I might not forgive her for happens like if Alex was the person to do this screw up it would probably ruin the night because I would be so overwhelmed and upset at such a colossal technical (laughs) mistake could even be possible that I would be a petulant child but Alex was very nice to me. And, and then I gave her this compliment and she was happy. But then something screwed up and we started again. Now you're not happy. No,
0: Shane lost his train of thought. And then we had to start over. And then I lost my patience a little. So now, Shane, I mean, let's recreate it because we are back where we were during the first recording. I
1: didn't just lose my train of thought, though. You cut me off. I was a, I was a, I was beginning my spiel.
0: Yeah, but then I, I made a joke and you, you got thrown off by the joke. And then you lost your train of thought. <laughs> it was weird but you know joke. what it was a joke about what it was a joke about kissing you because so i said i put my lips on your face and gave you a smooch in the first episode and you were like lips on my face what are you talking about but you know what's gonna happen now
1: you're gonna put your lips on my face
0: yeah you're getting another kiss because what else what else do we got shame we, we gotta make up for the lost love here
1: I think I have the flu, Alex. I'm very ill, but I'll take a kiss.
0: I'll risk it.
1: Thank you very much. Now, we've done this kiss about three or four times on the mic. And the first time was very passionate. Lots of tongue and kissy noises. The second time, a little less tongue. Third time, just perfunctory kiss. No tongue.
0: Well, speak for yourself. And that's hurtful because I... I'm not kissing you for a perfunctory thing. I want to kiss you because I want to feel better and I want to make things good again. I want to have, you know, I just want to feel that love. I, I think that was. Could you feel the love from my kiss that time? Even though it was the fourth time.
1: I don't know. I'm just saying there was no tongue.
0: There was no tongue. No.
1: Okay, but we'll, I'll try to get into the topic we got into the last time. Halloween candy.
0: Halloween candy. What about Halloween candy?
1: I don't know. What about it? How much are we supposed to eat? What was that? <laughs> okay,
0: okay. So I have learned like the first day home from Halloween, it was a Monday. I took a few choco bars with me to school, ate them all, then came home, ate more. And then I felt pretty crappy. However, I have since been taking no chocolate to school and then having a couple bars, just two bars when I come home. And I'm feeling good about my self-control. And enjoying the tasty treats when I get home from a long day of work, so I'm I'm enjoying the Halloween candy.
1: Well, for me, and this is what I've been saying the last few recordings, is that I don't know. I think it's actually making me ill because I'm eating. How many pieces a day are you eating? Two. Two for real.
0: hmm T- Tonight more because after
1: you're stressed. Yeah. You know. I'm eating between two and 35 <laughs> pieces of candy a day, and I don't think it's good for me. I'm not a health you know, doctor, but I just feel like if something's around, my hands get very grabby and I have to put it in my mouth.
0: Okay, so if I hid the candy somewhere where you don't know, I don't tell you, I just hide it for myself. Then you're cool with that.
1: No, because like I was saying in the last (laughs) recording, I'll find it. I am raccoon like you think everything's going to be okay, but then you wake up and everything's a mess in the morning and there's wrappers everywhere and chocolate (laughs) remnants. I'll find like you hid it in the drawer and didn't tell me and you're gone during the day. I went through every drawer in the house (laughs) looking for the candy and found it.
0: I just like the idea of you scavenging like a raccoon. Like I just picture you, you know, the little raccoon hands, how they look. Of course, how they're just they look so, kind of like human hands. Oh, they're freaky. Raccoon hands are freaky. So I just picture you in my brain with those little raccoon hands looking for the chocolate and just tossing things out of drawers as you try to find the chocolate and then finding it and devouring it. It's a funny image.
1: Yeah, all the Twixes I'm getting, all the crispy crunches.
0: How many Wonder Bars Wonder did bars you get? Because I, I only found two in there and I ate them both.
1: I've probably eaten 10 Wonder Bars. Oh, no, man. maybe maybe six.
0: Okay, the thing about Wonder Bars, I have never had a full Wonder Bar. I don't know what they look like full. I'm assuming the same, just bigger. But I've a only... fair assumption. <laughs> I've only ever had a Wonder Bar as a Halloween treat. And it's one of my favorite ones because for me, Wonder Bar is so intrinsically tied to Halloween. And... I, I really love Halloween because of the Wonder Bar.
1: I wish it was more tied to Halloween. We need more caramelks, we need more crispy crunches, mm. and more Wonder Bars. Mm. Arrow, Whatever. Fine, I'll eat it, but yeah. I don't give a shit. Kit Kat. Kit Kat, fine. It's, they're Have pedestrian. A
0: break. They're common.
1: What's another coffee crisp? Yeah. Actually, I am. Craving I, I like a, the coffee crisp. I'm craving one right now, but normally, to me, that's just the, an average one. There was a
0: there was a travesty though this year Halloween travesty oh,
1: reese's peanut cups.
0: allergy kids have ruined it there were zero z-e-r-o reese's cups what yeah, is that's up a good bar. With i that? guess it's to
1: save lives
0: but we're still getting wonder bars oh is it we're the, still I mean, getting peanut covered m ms or m M&M m covered peanuts
1: yeah what the hell's going on we
0: got no reese's cups that Not is one. the best candy actually the best candy bar shane what's it called the king cup
1: The King Cup. It's just a big Reese's Cup with Reese's Pieces inside.
0: Is that what it's called, though, the King Cup?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: It's delicious. Oh, it is wildly delicious. But, yeah, cannot believe that there were zero single-wrapped Reese's. That is odd. Right?
1: Yeah, so we were talking about that. Reese's Outrageous is pretty good, too. Not as good as the King Cup. But, yeah, we were talking about that, and then I was just saying I have the flu.
0: Yeah.
1: And we were talking about what we were stressed about.
0: Oh, because th- there are so many stressful things right now in life. So Shane's sick. Lucy, poor kid, and this is the hardest thing about it, but she has a double ear infection. Last night and the night before, she had a fever of 104. So trying to keep her... She's
1: pooping the pants. Back she, to pooping oh, the pants.
0: I know. And this is her, her third week of antibiotics. Third out of four weeks on antibiotics. She got a one-break week, and that was it. So poor kid's just taking a beating and having such a hard time... But she's been in a good mood. Like she's been really trying to work through her sickness and be happy and be loving. And she just, I really feel for her. Uh, But yeah, so she's sick. Shane's sick. We planned a vacation for December, but Shane doesn't have a passport. Betty doesn't have a passport. I don't have a
1: driver's license. I don't
0: have an up-to-date health card. I've given two. Birth. I've given birth to two children since my health card has expired, but I didn't even know it was expired because nobody had told me. So
1: you can have kids with no health card; they don't care.
0: Nobody has billed me. Wow, is that wild? It, like it's it's flown under the system somehow. But I found out like three weeks ago at my regular doctor's office.
1: That it's just not on the books.
0: It expired in 2018.
1: <laughs> no, but is there any record that you've had children in a hospital? Yes. Yes. Okay.
0: Yes, it's so weird. And then Lucy's health card is just expired. So we have so many of these tedious jobs to do. Like nobody wants to stand in line for two hours at Service Ontario, Service Canada, getting these things done. So we can hardly even enjoy the idea of our upcoming trip. Because,
1: oh, hardly. Uh, not at all. Yeah. Today you lied to me. You And I. sometimes you do this. You'll tell things that you should be excited about, but you're actually not. And because it wasn't a great day for us, but you're like, do you know what I'm excited about? Our vacation coming (laughs) up. And I didn't say anything because I am not excited about it at all because I have to get my passport. I don't even know. We can't book airline tickets without the passport. I don't don't even know if I'm going to get the passport in time. The trips in 27 working days takes 25 working days to get a passport. You can rush it, but there's a cost associated with it. And then booking a late flight. Sometimes it's advantageous. Sometimes it can cost you more money. So, yeah, not pumped about it. Turns out you're not pumped about well, it either. You were he just hears- saying that.
0: No, no, no. So I am in that moment. So we were sitting here.
1: On the last recording, if then, I had a recording of it, it would say that you were not not. No, no,
0: no. Well, I'm about to explain it, but we were sitting there and I was like, oh, in a month from now, we're going to be sitting on a beach. And then that initial thought got me excited. And I asked Shane if he was excited too. And then as I'm thinking about that, I'm like, oh, hold on. Before we get to that point where we're sitting on the beach, we need to go through the two-hour lineups at Service Ontario. We need to apply for new everything of our ID. We need to stress about whether we're going to get it or not. And then the weight of all of that started kind of sitting with me. And then I became more stressed out. Plus, like. I don't want to get into it too much, but we've got this never-ending renovation in the middle of our living room, and it is exhausting. It's infuriating.
1: Yeah, that's what I was saying on the last episode, too, and I'm going to be referring to that episode this whole episode. But if you are listening right now and considering a renovation, and you probably are, you're just waiting for a windfall or to save up the right amount of money, do not do that renovation. Buy a new home instead
0: okay <laughs> I'm stream
1: yeah it, because it's not worth it because it never happens the people they promise you it's something's gonna be done and then it just won't be done and you're you think you're gonna be dealing with one guy but you're dealing with three guys you're dealing with a guy to take down the chimney another guy to I don't know put in a pipe and then another guy to put in the fireplace why are you crying right now
0: Oh just thinking about it, it's so stressful.
1: You're actually crying.
0: I know. I I wasn't expecting this to happen. I'm like, yeah, it's stressful going through it all again for the just knowing this was coming up. It's just more than stressful because honestly, I was feeling pretty good about it. I'm just so angry that it hasn't been done and that nobody is being completely honest with me and that. Like Shane and I are trying to throw money at people. You can't. To get this work done. Like we're, <laughs> we're, we're overpaying people and we're saying we will overpay you to come here. And these guys are like, oh, it's an easy job. It's a two hour job.
1: This is a fireplace project, too. You've been working on it for... Since August. Yes, yeah, since August. Originally, we just thought we were going to put in some dinky electric fireplace <laughs> until we realized $400. How, yes, how tacky that may look in our home. And then it went up to a normal fireplace. And then it went up to, like, a luxurious fireplace. And the other day, we had guys come in the house. And when it comes to, like guys putting in this fireplace you've been dealing with them yeah but unfortunately right now you're not on maternity leave anymore you're back at work and I'm working from home so I have to deal with these guys and I don't really know anything that people think I should know about the house (laughs) because that's something I haven't been dealing with that's your area area, so I just basically come out to greet the guys and offer them a water or a coffee and then I like hiding back in my (laughs) room so I can do work but in this instance, they had lots of questions for me, like, "Oh, do you know the diameter of the fireplace? And how? The, what's the depth? And what kind of brick is this? And where does the brick?" I'm like, "I don't know, I don't know." And then they go, "Oh, this just needs a flip knot meter and uh, <laughs> with a steel tuberama, and you could put that in yourself." He looked me right in the eye. He goes, "You can put this in yourself and fix this." I go, "You don't know me, but I can't." <laughs> Everyone laughs like, ha this guy's a real card. I'm like, I'm serious. I cannot do anything that you're talking about. They all laugh. The guy's like, listen, this job is so easy. I couldn't possibly do it. This is a two hour job, man. He goes, I'll need to charge you the full day. I go, how much is a full day? He goes, 500 bucks. I go, I'll give you a thousand. <laughs> Everyone laughs. Like, I'm like, I'm serious. Whatever you need, I'll I'll pay for it. He goes, all right. Turns out the guy, because I told you, oh, yeah. we're just going to have to pay this guy a lot of money because apparently the job's too easy for him too to easy. do. And so I go message him, tell him like, yeah, whenever you're ready, we have the money. He still won't do it unless it's a rain day and he has the, his other projects canceled.
0: So, he, yeah, he he's only coming when he has the time anyway. So it's like we're paying him now for a full day when he has nothing else to do that day anyway
1: and it's it's so <laughs> infuriating one i i don't assume that these guys know how to do my work i'm not yeah. saying oh i bet you can direct a commercial write and direct a 30 second commercial why do they assume that i can do things around the house is it just that i'm a man Because that's sexist.
0: (laughs) It's got to be that. But it is so frustrating because I have now spoken to like four different brick layer people. And three of them, three, Shane, have said this job's too easy. And I don't do small jobs like that. They go, I don't do small jobs. I'm like, if it's too freaking easy, get in here. We'll pay you the full day of work. Just take the two hours out of your day and do it. But three guys have turned me down because it's too small a job. $600 is pretty good if you ask me. And then the other two guys are booked until the new year. So I'm like, again, if it's a small job, two-hour job, really? Really? It's so frustrating.
1: So we just have this gaping hole. In our house. Not
0: only that, but it's this hole hasn't been exposed for like 115 years. It's been hidden behind other bricks, so it's just it's an old hole.
1: And yet, I'm the only person in the house apparently who is seems to be able to inhale the dust that's coming out, (laughs) and I'm choking on it, and it's filling my nose. You, it's not happening to. The kids, it's not happening to. We have huge boxes all over our house filled with with pieces of the fireplace that, depending on which construction worker you talk to, is the fireplace is too big to even be put in this spot no matter what. Uh, Every worker is blaming the other worker or what they did wrong. That's why I would always suggest using one worker to do the whole job.
0: Which we we tried. We tried desperately to do that.
1: Yeah. I'd say every square inch of our house is a mess. Yeah. And I think we should look into moving into a new home <laughs> that just has everything we wanted it seriously it's much easier to buy a home with a fireplace than it is to put one in i never thought i'd be saying this but yeah let's move honey
0: <laughs> Get out of here.
1: obviously i like the house but it's too much it's too much
0: well hey i'm the i'm the one dealing with it i know you have to deal with the this just terrible mess, but uh, oh, it'll re- get done. The
1: reason we got to this subject was I asked you what's pissing Alex off this week, and the reason I asked was in the very last episode we recorded, you wanted this to be a recurring segment of you're going to yeah. tell everyone what's pissing you off. Well, because I
0: got I got the postpartum rage, so I'm really feeling that good angry energy now.
1: So what's pissing you off this week?
0: Oh, this, yeah. this everything we've talked about, and but you know, we we can't we can't. Live like this, Shane. We can't just be angry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All we do, like I was was wondering, what is more entertaining to listen to? People complaining all the time or people (laughs) bragging and being happy? And I find we only do one or the other. (laughs) There's no like happy middle ground. But
0: wait, give me an apple. Give me something good, something sweet that happened to you this week.
1: Okay, so I found out that someone was using our daughter on a web
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> this sounds like it wouldn't be a good thing. They were using our daughter in an advertisement. And on their
0: main web page. Like, yeah. Like as the, the main person.
1: So I called. They had the hotline. Yeah. And they're like, well, we'd be happy to email you and resolve this. I'm like, no, you have my daughter. You're using her as the spokesperson on your website illegally that I never gave permission. You just stole a picture. And now it looks like she's your spokesperson. Give me a call. So that's obviously doesn't sound like a highlight. However, I got the call and these people paid me for using our daughter in their advertisement. And that was really nice.
0: That is awesome. It is awesome. And I'm so glad that you went through whatever venue you did and got that money because that was a nice little chunk of change.
1: I was expecting a fight to the death. I'm like, (laughs) we're getting the lawyers. I don't care if we lose money. And now we just got a little windfall, which brightened my day i guess
0: oh my gosh yeah
1: because we would we would happily do things we are in the influencer sphere but it did feel a little icky to be just ha- stumble across you know this advertisement yeah. oh i hear you and uh, i do think it was fair the settlement
0: no i think so too
1: so that was that was definitely a highlight what else do i have on my list here oh i i had a bit about
0: wait r- you don't want to hear my happy thing for the week
1: Oh, we didn't do that last time. I thought we were trying to do a carbon copy of our last recording. What What was happy with your week?
0: I got a new coat. Oh. I got a new coat and it felt good and I love it and that's that.
1: That's strange about you too because you call me and you go, oh, is, I'm freezing right now, Shane. I'm at work and I'm freezing and I don't really have a coat and it's really cold. Is it okay if I buy a coat? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, buy a coat. What well, you never have to ask me about anything else why would a necessity you're like maybe a christmas gift this year buy a coat alex and then you feel all guilty well
0: because so. it was expensive it was like a 350 and fifty dollar coat before taxes and that's you know when when i work or when we do something and make money i i think about what that goes to and what that job goes to and then when one thing Costs so much money. It's like itself, and I'm the only one that can enjoy it. It's like it's not a fireplace that the whole family can enjoy.
1: The fireplace is never happening. At least, the, <laughs> at least the coats happen.
0: But the coat, it it's just like a long coat. It's, it looks good and it's practical. It's good for like up oh. to minus forty.
1: What else? Oh, we had a part about the most romantic thing we do. Should I even bother saying that part, or should no, we just move on? Okay, let's move on. Um to our interview.
0: Yeah, let's do it Dr. Tracy Baxley.
1: But before we get to Dr. Tracy, let's tell everyone who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Bravado Designs, the makers of the best bras that you can get your hands on and your boobs into.
1: What's the second best bra? Is there a second best one?
0: I don't even think about any other bras because I'm just all bravado in the brain. Good answer. <laughs> all
1: bravado designs all the time.
0: <laughs> and I'm not alone. I actually recently looked up. So I, I just wanted to see. I wanted to get a temperature on what other people thought. So I checked them out on Well.ca. They have a 4.8 out of 5, which is ridiculously high.
1: Well.ca. Is that just for bras? or
0: No, no, no. It's like for lots of okay. like wellness things. But out of 26,000 at the time, 990 reviews. They still had a 4.8 out of 5. That's like impossible. Wow.
1: They're like troll proof.
0: Essentially troll proof, but guys, they are seriously so good. Their nursing bras are amazing and they're they're so practical, they're so easy to use. But now they have an everyday collection as well. So these bras have no clips and they just have the same amazing comfort that you love from their nursing collection. So go check them out at bravado or check out the everyday collection at ca.bravado But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code This Family Tree20 for 20%. Off your order. Again, that's Bravado and this family tree twenty. And now let's get to our interview with Dr. Tracy Baxley. Dr. Baxley, Dr. Tracy Baxley, Tracy, Tracy what do we Tracy's call you, Tracy? Great. Tracy's great. Yeah. So nice to meet you. I you am too. <laughs> thank you. I'm so glad that you could sit down with me today. I really have been looking forward to this one. So you're the author of Social Justice Parenting. You are a professor. You're a mother of freaking five. <laughs> which I have two and I don't know how you do that. And you are a parent coach and a speaker. You wear so many hats, so many hats. How do you introduce yourself when somebody asks you?
2: I used to start with mom. You know, that's my primary role. Everything else is secondary it's to that. Place. Yeah. And I guess it depends on the audience, you know, who am I talking with and what, 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 um, circumstance is present with us talking. You know, if it's an education, I'll lead off with you know, being a professor. So it depends, but always a mother. I was telling somebody recently, or maybe I wrote it somewhere. Somebody was asking me questions about, about, you know, the different identities that we hold. And I was saying that when I first started, it couldn't be when I first started, but maybe, maybe I had four kids at that time. I don't know. Maybe it was when I, maybe it was when I had five, I don't know. But there was a male professor that said to me to not say how many kids I have at work because it made me less scholarly, right? It made me seem like I wasn't serious about my craft. That's, and um, I'm not that shocked, stuck with tracy. Me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I like to lead with I'm a mother of five often.
0: Good.
2: Because, Good. you know, to turn that ideal on its head mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. That we, we can do this, you know, we can do this. 100%. Right.
0: 100%. And I, I find too that since becoming a mother, and I probably would have, before I had kids, thought ahead and would have been like imagining myself fighting against uh, this happening. But motherhood does seep into everything that I do now. Every other job I take on is impacted that, not because I have kids, but in the way that having kids has changed how I perceive things.
2: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And some of my corporate work that I do, the pandemic has really helped people not have to hide parts of their lives. You know, you see CEOs with kids running behind them, you hear the dogs in all the meetings. And I actually have some corporate clients who want to not just do DEIB work with me, but they want me to do social justice parenting work in the office. And I think the pandemic has really helped us to see that we can't be our best selves at work. If we are worried about hiding the part of us that, that of uh, being a mother or a father or, or a parent or a caregiver in some way, that that comes with the territory.
0: Oh, I agree. And it, it makes everybody a little bit more relatable and gives people at least a bottom line. If you don't know anything about each other, if you think you have nothing in common with your boss, with your employee, with your custodial staff you might have a bottom line that you didn't even know about. And I I really love that. And Tracy, I do want to talk about your work. Uh, So this is something I'm so excited to chat with you about today. But you are a diversity and inclusion, inclusivity. What did I say? Did I say that right? Diversity and inclusivity educator.
2: You can say inclusivity or inclusion. Either is good. So what is that exactly? What do you do? Well, again, different hats, but the same thing, right? I really believe and um, belonging, what that means, what that looks like in different places, um, how we show up and how we feel like we belong in that space. So when I work with corporate and organizations, you know, like nonprofits, it's really helping them to see where they are in their DEIB journey. Like, do they know what people feel and, and, and what their policies are? Do they know how people feel about the space that they're in? Are they creating a space of belonging at work? Um, do your practices and policies align? So I help help organizations and companies see where they are, where they need to go and give them some ideas of how to get there. Also, it's kind of the same thing when I'm working with parents, right? It's about where are we as a family? What are our core values around these big issues? And how do we align the practices in our home so that we're teaching our children that, one, that they belong. Um, and then how do we create these same spaces of belonging in the world outside of our, our home, in our communities? So I, it's all about really creating spaces of belonging, um, no matter where you are.
0: And that's so, you know, you think about that job and it's like, it's such a, a valuable and admirable calling, to use that but i know that the need for that kind of education doesn't come from a place of feeling valued like you know when companies are hiring you to come in and teach their employees or when you're speaking to parents it comes from a serious need and situations that are not good for lack of
2: a better term yeah and i think a lot of times too parent companies used to use or think of the work in this space as extra, right? If they had enough in the budget or if there's time or, you know, as a kind of a checkbox thing. And I think more and more people are realizing this is not extra. Like this is the foundation of how we build a great company or organization. So are you
0: seeing a shift now, like from the beginning of your career? And I know a lot of people because of the events of the last year and a half are starting to realize, hey, we're not doing enough. We're not an inclusive and a safely diverse space. We need
2: to change that. I am seeing a shift. And two ways I think I'm seeing a shift. I'm seeing a shift from people who did not prioritize the work at first and are now prioritizing the work, but it's a little bit more performative, right? We want to have it on the website. We want to check the boxes. We want to say we've done it. Then you have people who were kind of getting their toes wet in it before that really are ready to get serious about the work and really wanting to make the changes that are appropriate, acceptable, and that their employees can really feel that they mean what they say. Um, So I think things are definitely changing. The level of the change obviously varies from, from company to company or organization to organization. But I think people are realizing they can no longer do nothing, which is is a shift for a lot of companies, right? Mm -hmm.
0: And no, okay, we hear the work a lot, right? Whether it's a company or an individual making an apology saying, hey, I just need to step back and do the work. Or whether it's, hey, we need to do the work or you need to do the work. That has been thrown around a lot, in the past year and a half. But it's a word that's packed full of meaning and information, and it it gets tossed around. And what is, for the listeners, like, can we define the work?
2: That is such a great question. And you know, nobody has ever asked me that. Really? Yes.
0: Well, you know what? I've always been nervous to ask it, Tracy. I'm just, I'm feeling a little brave today. I got a couple other uh, ones that I'm a little nervous about. But no, I get, I get a way. nice kind
2: vibe from you. So. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what that's what I'm here for, right? I want, I want us to all be vulnerable in in this movement in the work, right? Yeah, so yeah. that we can begin to make real permanent changes. But I think for me, the work is this idea of reflection, right? It starts with self-reflection of what are my thoughts? What are my experiences? How do I make sense of any biases, prejudices? Um stereotyping that I've come to know to be true, right? So let me think about it from that lens. And then when I start to think about them, are they true? Are they not true? Let me start doing some research around that. Let me start doing some of the work in terms of learning, relearning, unlearning, that it's a process. Let me start getting out of my own bubble and really asking the hard questions about myself about what I know to be true, and then how can I start to rethink some of those things in order to have a better idea of what, what is what is the real reality? And I think another part of doing the work is about listening to people's lived experiences. Right? It may be very form, foreign to me. I may not understand what you're saying. I may not have thought that that really happened, but it's about honoring people's lived experiences and honoring the, their the way they see and the way they navigate in the world in order to be able to see things from different perspectives. And with that, then taking some action, of course, right? Of
0: course. And and so it would be then in, like if I'm trying to rephrase just for a, a place of understanding, kind of reflecting on and coming to terms with your own unconscious biases and determining why you have those biases and how you can... Unlearn or eliminate them from
2: your thought. Yes, yeah, yep. And whether they're unconscious or conscious, too, right? Right. right. So, of course, yes. of course. Yes. And
0: I know it, it's it's hard to think of because you know I think of like my group of friends who we hang with. A lot of unconscious bias. I mean, I I don't think anybody would admit to having conscious bias at least. And the fact is, so I bet. Before people started taking these conversations really seriously, they wouldn't even admit to, myself included, having unconscious bias. And that has been, I think, so crucial. And then it's hard to think that people do have conscious bias and and they're not afraid to admit it. And that's just a part of their life. It's a part of their platform. It's part of their political ideals. That is hard to grasp. And I'm curious on your take of – having conversations with those people, opening up conversations. Because there's a lot of talk about not even entertaining conversations with somebody that is on that end of the platform, that end of the political spectrum, ideas spectrum. I have had so many conversations in my DMs because some people I follow have those ideas. And instead of unfollowing them, which maybe tell me if I'm wrong, maybe I should have unfollowed them. I kept following them. And instead, I I start trying to talk to them. They don't want to hear it sometimes. But little by little, and like I try not to come at them, but do it in a way that they can understand. I'm a teacher. My background is in education. So I feel like I have the ability to appeal to people in a way that, you know, can help them learn. But what are your thoughts on hosting conversations and having conversations between with people that have totally conscious, happy to admit it, bias?
2: I think dialogue is the answer for a lot of things. So the minute we close the door and stop having conversations, we really close the door to really changing hearts and minds. Two things on that. I do believe it's important to have dialogue, even with people whose views are different from yours, right? It's really important um, because my lived experience, people who don't who have issues with, let's say, there's racism, right? Sexism, whatever it is. If they don't hear my lived experience, they're only going to see the world from their own perspectives. But the other thing too, I think it's really important that you also hold boundaries for yourself, right? Because the work can be very draining, very emotional. Um, I know as an empath, I take on a lot of the stuff and I get to the point where my body feels it. Like, Physically feel it, and I know I, it's time for me to put up boundaries and step back, or reset, or self care, or whatever that looks like. So th- here's an example: on one of the podcasts I was on uh, a couple weeks ago, the the host of the podcast put up a blurb of what we talked about on their um, Instagram, and because they have a large following, all of the followings, all the people follow are not going to be like my village, right? <laughs> And so one of the uh, gentlemen said something just really not agreeing what, what I said and what he said, I didn't disagree with. I was just looking at something from a different angle. So I said, you know, we're not as far as far as you believe. I believe what you said is true. Um, however, these things that I did say are important too, kind of is how it went. And so his response was, Something personal to my kids, like where your kids are going to grow up, not being much, or just something about my kids, and so then that's when I have to put the boundaries right. So when you are talking personally about my kids, I no longer can engage in a conversation where we have differences anymore. So I think it's important to 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 have the dialogue, keep it open, and I'm happy to do that. But when it gets personal, and I feel like you are um, saying some things that are You know, I won't I won't say it's hurtful, but it brought up my mama bear, right? Yeah. I was getting ready to go off and I had to back away (laughs) back away from the text. (laughs) Put my phone down and walk away. But I think it's important to, you know, to have those boundaries to where you are preserving yourself in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, I,
0: I don't understand when people become so inflammatory for no reason, because there's no reason to become inflammatory just because of a disagreement. Zero reason. So then I feel in my brain, I'm like – and in my heart that sometimes these – they want to remain there. They don't care about learning because why go to that place? You truly do not care about learning if you're willing to go to that place. But then I'm stubborn, right? And I imagine you probably are too in a lot of ways. And then maybe sometimes you keep trying to dig in at those people and teach more and learn more. But uh, no – oh my god, Tracy. I was just – and this has been seeping into everything I do, but I was just told I have postpartum rage. So I'm turning into the Hulk now every time. I would not have been able to deal with that person. I'm telling you, I would have like hopped through that phone and shook them or something. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I able. started texting some of my mama bear thoughts and I thought this is not going to help. <laughs> no. This isn't going to help at all. You know, this is not making your point of radical love. And so I thought about the idea of radical love bringing me back to center and and thought about, you know, do I want my kids to see me online like this? Like this is not who I am, doesn't align my core values. I'm going to hold my boundaries and walk away from this.
0: Now, radical love. This is something I did want to to touch on. So you teach, you know, and help parents walk away from and this is as you say it, fear-based parenting and into parenting based in radical love. For me, Tracy, I love wearing tie-dye, going to Grateful Dead shows. Radical love sounds exactly up my alley, although I don't know exactly what I know what it means. What is fear-based parenting? What is radical love?
2: Yeah, I I think kind of in a nutshell, radical love really is a love that makes us think beyond our own households, Mm. right? So I have to think about the way that I parent what does that mean for your children, right? Not just my own. This, this love that's fueled by open dialogue, but we're talking about, right? These intentional practices that we, we uh, you know, wrapped in compassion, wrapped in kindness, and really this transformative reflection in how we move through the world. So it really is about this wide love, this love that sees everybody as a part of your village, right? Doesn't mean you always agree, but that you're coming from a place, a place where you see the humanness in each other. And I think when we parent from this idea of fear-based parenting, we cannot, we cannot walk in radical love because we're so busy protecting our children from things out in the world, which of course we all don't have that privilege of protecting, right? That we don't get to see the world from somebody else's perspective. And I want my kids to know that the way we live in, my, in our house, is just one way of living. And there are a lot of different perspectives, different ways of being raised, of showing up in the world, and that we have to be open to hearing and listening and feeling that for everybody. So I think the more we parent from this protective bubble, this protective, protective space, we not only deny our own kids the right to their curiosities, to meeting other people, to doing more things in the world, but we also are putting our own anxieties and stress and fears directly onto our own children. And so I think you can't you can't practice parenting from this place of radical love when you stay in the fear-based parenting. And I just think social justice parenting, I see it as an antidote to fear-based parenting.
0: I love it. I love it. And I love the idea of radical love parenting. It's a term I have not heard before. I've only heard from you. And I think it is so amazing. And the, if we kind of break it down, think radical, that it takes work to do anything radically. You're doing that consciously. You're doing it, it with intent. And you have to actually be you know, aware of it to do something radically. So to bring that into parenting and to have a parenting style in which you're so aware of what you're doing I think is so important, and I love that so much. And I haven't really spoken to anybody on this podcast, I and mean, we've done over 100 episodes, but we haven't ever spoken about parenting as a form of activism. And I think that it's such a, a great take and a necessary take, because a lot of parents, you know, by no fault of their own necessarily, you know, are, are passive in that regard. And we don't need to be passive anymore. We know we can't be passive anymore because we know that being passive parents in this regard, just things are cyclical and nothing will change. Nothing will get better. So I want to talk about parenting as activism for a second. When you speak to parents who come to you as a parent coach and they want to, you know, develop their skills in social justice parenting, how do you kind of help them implement parenting as activism?
2: I think the the first thing I do with parents is to really, the first lesson, the first consultation is, is looking at your core values in your home. Like, what are your core values? If you have not established those with your partner, or with your kids, that's the first thing we need to do. What's the legacy that you want to leave when you're gone? What is the thing that you want your children to leave your house into adulthood, into their own spaces as parents themselves, that you know you, they're they're grounded in? Because I think having those core values help you with all the other things. So if we know that we're out of alignment with our core values, then we have that. I call it the GPS of parenting, right? It brings us right back into alignment, right? It gets us back on track. And so when we are Parenting from this space of thinking about it as activism, which is what it, it all is, because mm. everything that we do in the privacy of our homes, it's going to show up in, in the public space, right? It's going to show up one way or another. And so the more we are intentional about what we're pouring into our kids and what we're how we're talking with them, how we're modeling things for them, the, the better chance that the impact that you really want to have on your kids is going to happen when they're out in the world. Mm-hmm. And so... These little things or how we show up in our practices are parts of activism, whether it's something as simple as reading and talking to kids with your, with, through books, movies that they watch, having conversations around those things, um, going out into the neighborhood, expanding your, your inner circles, going to more diverse settings, or literally being engaged in some social justice organization or event. So all of these things are really a part of activism that that we create with our families, with our kids.
0: Right. And do you think that, I mean, I imagine if you introduce it just into a kid's life and start integrating it, it's going to be so seamless and it's just going to be a part of the kid's life. Is there any age where you think there needs to be more of a conversation before you just start? You know, doing these things, or i
2: I don't think there's an age. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's right away.
0: yeah, no, it's, <laughs> and if you yes. if you haven't
2: started, it started, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, not not too early, not too late. And, yeah. and it you yeah, you want it to seem like this is just a normal way that we show up for others.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: you know what? you You've got me thinking, we have never had a conversation about core values. Like, I know we have the same core values, but we've never discussed it in the realm of parenthood and been like, whatever we do, we come back to this. We've never talked about that. I feel, like, I feel like we're off. We need to sit down and discuss this.
2: Yeah, it's important. And it's important to have those conversations with your kids because then they know it, right? They have them written on the wall, have them draw pictures of what that looks like so that when you're off, they can say to you, mom, that doesn't align with this core value or are you doing this? Like they need to be a part of that too. They need to be able to have voice and agency in the home if we want them to have those voices out in the world, right? It starts in our homes.
0: Mm-hmm. And Tracy, like this is tough work, right? As we were talking about earlier, like it brings every aspect of you into it. You have to physically be there to deal with clients, to do speaking engagements, and it can weigh on you mentally and emotionally. Like it, it is a lot to take on as a job, right? Especially if you're an empath. And I want to know why... Or how you got into this? Were you raised in a house of radical love and that's why you wanted to kind of bring it out there? Or was it the opposite? And you're like, I need to do something and, you know, do the, change this. But where did this come from
2: for you? You know, I, I cannot pinpoint the one thing. There's several things in my life that I think led me to here. But I think spiritually, divinely, this is who I'm supposed to be. Like, this is my path for life. This is what was written in the stars for me to be doing. I, I really believe that. But I grew up with, in a very nurturing home, very open and very, I will not say totally open because, you know, my, my parents had that do because I said so. You know, that was old school because I said mm-hmm. so. So it wasn't so much that I got to voice a lot of things. I did not. But they're loving. Um, they're supportive.
0: Yeah, a different generation. <laughs>
2: yes, exactly. <laughs> I think just different areas in my life, like you know, growing up, I moved, I tell, tell the story of moving from a very black, insulated community where, you know, every parent could could parent you, everybody knew each other. in um, the summer of my third and fourth grade year, my parents moved to an all-white neighborhood where we were the only black family. And me trying to find my space in that, in terms of belonging. Also, as a beginning uh, classroom teacher, I taught kindergarten my first several years. And I always gravitated to those kids who really needed extra love, or they didn't fit in in some ways that I really felt compelled to support. Um, And then I think, you know, my husband is white. So being in a biracial relationship, I'm very conscious of of my own children's identity um, and where they fit into the world. And so I just think, you know, these little, I could name these little moments in my life that all led, led to here.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not just in like, when you talk about being going from an insulated black community to a white one, and here is my own bias, conscious bias but you're in Florida, as well, correct? Yes. Florida's Florida's tough, right? So that that's not even just like a white community in Toronto where we live, or in I don't know what would be comparable. But Florida's different, and I, I don't know where and in Florida. I will say
2: this, yeah, that that's exactly mm-hmm. right. So Florida is driving. Say driving. There is probably an eight. To nine hour stretch with Florida. Small, yeah. So yeah. So in South Florida, it's very diverse, Mm -hmm. right? We have all the Caribbean people here. We have a a mix of all kinds of beautiful people. We are our own, (laughs) we're our own little state. When you get more toward North and South Florida, that's closer to Georgia you will find more people that are more conservative in their political views and in their um, ideo- social ideology. So there is a difference in the demographics in terms of being in South Florida versus Central or North Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very different um, environments.
0: Well, I believe – so right before uh, the pandemic hit, we were on vacation in Orlando. We took our daughter to Disney World. And it was the it was the Christmas right before everything went to hell. And uh, we were sitting in the hot tub one night. We put the kid to bed. My husband and I were sitting in the hot tub. And there's other people in the hot tub. And we are a heterosexual white couple. We are as Florida friendly, North Florida friendly or whatever as you can get. We had to leave because I was ready to honestly throw up because of the conversation we were having with these people and what they were trying to talk about. I teach ESL, Tracy. So I am with newcomers to Canada every single day. And it's amazing. And their stories are so – they're awful or beautiful and everything in between. And it's insane what a lot of these kids go through every day. And one of the people in the hot tub was also a teacher. And she also taught ESL. So I thought we were going to have something to bond over. But the things that she was saying are so different than anything in the realm of what I could even imagine a teacher saying. Because you think of a teacher, I think of a teacher, and I think of somebody who's compassionate, somebody who wants to help, somebody who wants to be there for the community in general, right? And that was in floor. We had to leave because I felt – I felt scared, It was scary. And as a white heterosexual woman, I was scared and we had to leave the area because I was scared.
2: Yeah. You know, I I feel teary eyed hearing you say that Mm -hmm. because. I know. Yeah. Because sometimes that's the love that the kids need. Right. And. When you're sending your kids off to school. And the teachers have these ideas of who your kid is. How in the world can these kids do well? like how, how do you expect them to do academically be academically successful mm-hmm. when they don't have the basic human rights dignity that they deserve? It's very scary. I mean this the whole school thing with critical race theory and, and
0: in Florida.
2: It's just, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's banned it's, in Florida. And it what, is. is there a dozen yeah. other
0: states that are trying to get it banned?
2: I think, well, definitely Texas. They were the first mm-hmm. with everything that, yeah, Florida's quick, quick behind.
0: All right, Tracy, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh, a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make, like I mean it, the best basics for your littles. I'm talking about fashionable wardrobe staples that are super soft, comfy, and timeless, and can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender.
1: It's funny because what you're wearing right now almost looks like it was Mini Miosh inspired.
0: I know. (laughs) I know. And honestly, I cannot wait for them to come out with some adult clothes because Shane and I, you and I need to get in on this like comfort.
1: Oh, yeah. It's so comfortable, so stylish. What I love, it's easy to put on, Lucy, too. For me, that's really important.
0: And she loves it. We can go out for dinner and she could be wearing one of their dresses and then she comes home and she doesn't even want to get changed into her PJs because she just wears that.
1: They are her pajamas, yes.
0: (laughs) Mini Miosh uses organic cotton fabrics that are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. They're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at miniMiosh.com or at MiniMiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use our promo code, tree 15 you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is miniMiosh.com and tree 15
1: But we are also supported by
0: the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. So folks, I'm telling you, this is the most accurate Sleep and breathing monitor that you can get your hands on.
1: What do we call it? The Terminator of sleeping monitors? We called it the Bill Gates. We called it the Steve Jobs.
0: The Rambo The Michael of Jordan. Baby monitors. It's Michael
1: Jordan and Scottie Pippen.
0: And Serena.
1: Yes. And Venus.
0: And oh we we got everybody in there, guys. If you haven't guessed, it's the best, okay?
1: I like Cornacova too.
0: <laughs> Who doesn't? <Yeah. laughs> but it is the best monitor that you can get your hands on. And what I love about it, with other smart monitors, they always have something that's gonna make physical contact with your baby, like a sock that they have to wear or like a strap on their chest to monitor the breathing accurately.
1: I don't want my baby strapped while she's sleeping.
0: No, but the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor, they have some, it's like military-grade technology is called sensor fusion. And there's no contact with your baby. It just, I don't know. It fuses sensorily. (laughs) It's amazing. I don't get it. It's beyond my unscientific brain. But it is amazing. And it works with your smartphone to alert you of any changes to your baby's vitals and the nursery conditions. So when we had Betty... As opposed to when we had Lucy, I was actually able to sleep when the baby was sleeping because I felt at ease because the alarm goes off pretty immediately. Like if your baby stops breathing or if something happens, it tells you ASAP. And it is so amazing. Plus, one of my favorite things, no hacking. They use crypto security. So it is impossible because this is I have read so many horror stories about smart monitors getting hacked.
1: I didn't know you were had this reading material.
0: <laughs> what are you
1: reading, honey? More baby hacking stuff. No,
0: she they come up in like parenting forums and things like that. Oh, and I it can't scared even think about the it. heck out of me. But there's no hacking with this. So I feel honestly so I feel protected. I feel yeah. safe.
1: If no hacking's not your number one thing, then you got issues. <laughs>
0: But the monitor offers also HD video and photo and great night vision. Plus, they have custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone, which means that Miku not only plays original sleep sounds and lullabies, but it allows you to talk to and comfort your baby, which is such a great feature. And you can check all this out at mikucare.com. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10, you're getting 10% off your monitor. This is available in the U.S. only. And again, that is MikuCare.com and this family tree 10, because no other monitor is a Miku. And now let's get back to our interview with Tracy. And Tracy, this is at complete odds with your book, Social Justice Parenting, because you're aiming to bring this kind of education into the household, even before school. So these kids are already versed in that, they're already open to that kind of thing. And now they're banning not only what you talk about as your career but what I'm sure you have gone through in your lived experience and your children, their lived experience as biracial kids. And like, how, how do you deal with that when you are living in the environment that is oppressing your work and your experience?
2: Yeah, it's it's very stressful because also at the college level, at the university level, right? They're now talking about critical race theory and whether it, uh, the whole idea of academic freedom, right? It's like should you be talking about these things? Can students not record you and use it against you later if you're talking about this? And I literally use the introduction of critical race theory in one of my classes. So uh, my thought is if I, if if you're going to ask me to give up things that I teach in this course, then I'm not teaching this course. Like this is gonna, this is not going to work for me. So in a lot of ways, I feel like it's my time limited at, at the university because I need to express these things, right? If we're not doing that at the university, giving perspectives, then, then what are we doing? Like, what is university for if it's not to have people learn about others and have perspectives and have dialogue? But yes, it's very scary. It's very scary. And that's why more and more families have got to dig in, right? You've got to start teaching your kids. You have to speak up to your principals, to your school boards, to who you're voting in offices. We can't let the noisy minority make all the rules. And so we have to fight back. And it's not about one over another. It's about including everybody. That's the difference, right? It's about we need to tell our history, if it's history, in the way that it happened. Not making anybody feel badly about it, but saying, this is our truth. This is what happened. How do we change things so that it doesn't happen again? We, we can't hide what, how our country was birthed.
0: And not just your country, Tracy, Canada. Yep. I mean, we are dealing with our history right now, you know, face first with the indigenous and the residential schools. And that's, that's a horrible history. It's a horrible history, but I have to say as somebody inside the school board, it is amazing to see the mobilization right now within, uh, and I'm in the Catholic school board and, the we are responsible for this specifically the catholics right right uh, yes but the mobilization is incredible every week kids are raising money to preserve the information and to help people research and find more information things like that so it's it's awesome but it's long freaking overdue and it's it's crazy that that it's so overdue and it's crazy that people you know are just learning about this not everybody but some people are and I don't know how these histories, these true histories are just – have remained hidden for so long or just not spoken about. And, you know, I want to talk about bringing these practices, bring this activist, uh, activism parenting or parenting of ac- as activism into the house in practical ways. One thing, and I mean it's the first thing that comes up to every parent's mind, is, oh, let's get a book about it. Because books are amazing. They're amazing. They help kids visualize things. The books know how to say things that parents sometimes can't. But I need your opinion on something, Tracy. So we've, I found myself in an embarrassing situation. And I, I don't know if it's good or bad or neutral. I don't know. And I just need you to tell me honestly. Um, so we have a, a book about like everybody's beautiful. And it just says like, all the skin colors, like black, brown, white, and different hair colors and eye colors and things. So we read this to our daughter Lucy. She loves this book. And she started daycare this year for the first time in two years, like since we pulled her out during COVID. And we're looking at her class picture. We just got it back the other day. And she's telling me about her friends and she's kind of playing. And I'm saying, oh, okay, like who's this one? Who's Michelle? Who's, you know, Vanessa? And then I go, oh, who's Sarah? And she just, is still playing, doesn't even do anything, she's just the black one. Now, is is this, and she, like, it's, it's not anything to her, she just said it, and I was kind of shocked, because I had only heard us using terms like that when we read our book about race. Is she, like, am I going to get her in trouble? Is that the wrong way to approach it? I don't know. I didn't know what to say. So I just kind of continued.
2: Yeah, no. So she's using as a descriptor, right? So we, mm-hmm. we carry our own baggage, right? When our kids say these things and we get freaked out. But all they're doing is saying what they see, what they observed and how they see the world, right? So they are growing to create categories in their minds. Um, their categories that they create don't always make rational sense to adults, but this is part of their growth, right? Yeah. This is part of the development. And for her, it was a category that um, she named black because of her skin color. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's very refreshing because this whole colorblindness, I don't see color. I'm teaching yeah. my kids not to see color. Yeah. It's That's not truth, right? The whole society, the whole world sees skin color. Mm-hmm. We're divided up because of it so we have to have conversations about it so that we can start dealing with what that means because we see color see skin mm-hmm. color or how we can see skin color in a way that is not oppressive or there's inequities because of it so i would definitely not be freaked out
0: okay cuz that was the motivation i feel like i'm getting red you can even see me getting red asking this <laughs> but um it's it, it's it's embarrassing sometimes as somebody who is trying to do the work right To discuss this openly on a public podcast, but
2: here we are. I I think, too, that we should be okay with being embarrassed a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Because when our kids are having these conversations with us, it means we're creating safe spaces that they can have the conversation. And it also allows us to see what they know, where the gaps are, what we need to go back to shore up a little bit. So the more our kids are having these conversations, we get to know what we have to reteach.
0: Right, right.
2: So it's good.
0: No, okay. Well, I'm glad because the motivation behind getting the book in the first place was to eliminate colorblindness and be aware of the inequities, right? And then I thought it was coming back to bite me in the ass. And I just, I wasn't (laughs) sure that I was doing it right. (laughs) But no, but that's good. And, you know, other practical ways, Tracy, if a parent was wanting to get fully into this, get fully into radical love parenting, where can we start?
2: I think I'm, I'm always a proponent of starting with self, right? You you have to do the work yourself in order to show up as a intentionally a, in, in your parenting, right? Mm-hmm. So be real sure about how you're showing up and doing that work, internal work. Wow. I think, you know, making small observations of our own inner, inner circles, right? What does that look like in our own homes? What does that look like in our own lives? I always tell when I'm doing a big workshop, I'll have everybody pull up their phones and look at their context, like what does that look like? Do they look like mirrors of you? If they are people who look differently, in what way do you know those people? Mm-hmm. So really thinking about um, how you can make those changes in yourself. Reading books is great, but I also think talking about what we're reading about is important, right? Really having some um, critical literacy around what we're reading. So people think I'm reading this book about skin color, I'm doing great. It's not really mm-hmm. right because your kids don't know what that means, or they don't know the values behind that. You know, if your core values align with that, what does that mean to align your core values about what you're reading? So, having real discussions with kids about what they're reading, where your family sits on those subjects or topics, how you can do something for others through the readings of those books is really important. Um, and then the, the the other thing is actually do something like take your take your kids outside of their bubbles. Whatever that is, you know, it could be race, it could be gender, it could be uh, sexual orientation, religion, whatever it is. You know, we carry all these identities. Take them outside of those bubbles, really, and allow them to see what differences look like, and allow them to be a part of supporting people who may have marginalizations in certain identities. So, it's one thing to tell tell kids what your values are, but they need to see you living them, and they could be very simple acts like donating stuff, standing with people, paying for people behind you in line, um, if it's a socioeconomic thing. So I also think it's great when we're talking about race is finding a professional that your kids see, your doctor, your dentist, you know, you're a teacher, a tutor, or coach that may not look like your kid. So they have weekly, monthly, whatever interactions with people who are different so that when they visual can visualize a doctor, they all don't look the same way. Or if they visualize a teacher or whomever, that they can see it in a different way. Quick story, uh, I was finishing up one of my parenting groups. They had their last session with me last night or the other night. And uh, one of the moms was saying that her child, who must be like three, was putting a puzzle together. And one of the puzzles that, one of the puzzle pieces, they were, I guess, community helpers kind of putting the puzzle together. And there was a police officer that they put the puzzle. He put the puzzle down for the police officer who she said visually was a white man. And he said, her son was talking about the police officer and kept saying, she, she, she. So the police officer at or the security person at their school is a woman. Right. And so just having that woman security officer at her school has mm-hmm. now opened up her kid's mind to who this police officer is. Mm-hmm. And she said, clearly it was a man, <laughs> but because now he's had some interactions with somebody who looks different from what is considered normal, mm-hmm. his whole view about what a police officer looks like is, has, has changed. She's so those little things like that, yeah, make a big difference.
0: Well, I, I, you know what, we we came across a situation like that recently, and I didn't realize how impactful those little things are. We, our doctor, our family doctor's woman, the registered nurse there is a woman. So all of my daughter's healthcare providers have been women up to this point. She recently smashed her face open on the coffee table in the living room, and we had to take her to the hospital to get her face glued back together. And the doctor was a man. And the second we get out of the hospital, I'm like, oh, honey, like, are you okay? How are you feeling? And she goes, why was that doctor a boy? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I was like, I love uh, the feminist power right now. <laughs> but at the same time, boys can be doctors too, honey. Yes, yes. And I love the idea of having to tell her that when 50 years ago, it would have been the opposite. Girls can be Absolutely. doctors too. Well, I don't even know if they were saying that 50 years ago, but I loved being able to say that, and being able to live in a time where we can say that, and where she can be surprised by a man who's a doctor. Yes,
2: I and love that. That's a th- great story.
0: But I, I think that your suggestion to seek out people who look different than your kids for, you know, roles of leadership and adult mentorship, uh, is so is so crucial. And I, I think that's probably one of the best suggestions that I've ever heard. Because what a better way to expose your kids in, in a positive way to people that look differently than them then get a role model for them
2: who yeah, looks different it changes it changes their ideas of of certain groups of people yeah yeah no i i think that's so valid and i and i always get you know oh we live in a we live in a neighborhood that's so there's no other people like i live rental, everybody's white so, I'm like, okay, well, how important is it to work to you, right? Yeah. If, if you have to drive 30 extra minutes to a doctor's office or to a dentist that you go see twice a year or whatever, you know, there may be some sacrifices that you have to make.
0: Mm-hmm. But it could even be a playground. Like, not even you're like, if you're going to the dentist or the doctor last minute, on the weekends, when you got time, go to a yes. playground in a different part of the city that has kids that look different than you. Like, I know where we live, nobody could say that because. easily you know where the newcomers to canada go they have huge playgrounds down there because the city has built some beautiful ones as they should for them go down there yeah it's so fun and i don't see people appreciating our city like they do a lot of these Mm -hmm. kids were born in refugee camps they come here and it's the best like they're truly some of the happiest kids in the city it's the best
2: perspective is very different right oh my god yeah. Oh my god! One of the one of the ass- assignments, like in my my parenting course, um, I give you like assignments to do, and one of the things, uh, one of the modules, I give you a whole list of stuff that you have to do, right? And one is like finding uh, organizations in your area, going to um, so, some diverse something, finding. So it's a whole list of stuff to do, and one of the couples went to a drop-in library on the other side of town so the read-alouds they were the minority Mm -hmm. and they were saying how refreshing that was for them to see life from a different perspective right you know a lot of the people that were there were speaking Spanish and they didn't understand a lot that was going on but it gave them a new perspective of what life is like for other people and they've kept going they've kept going to this drop-in library reading with their child so that they can have more exposure to other people.
0: That's awesome. And I think people get scared about inserting themselves in situations like that when we, they have the choice not to. Because I know if you're a minority in a lot of situations, you do not have the choice. And people can get nervous about that. Be like, ooh, like, will they? Will it be okay if I go there? Will they want me there? And all these weird hang-ups that we have and it's our problem. But there are so many amazing opportunities for it. Um, even just... I'll speak like from our area, any indigenous ceremony, so welcoming and so happy when outsiders come and appreciate with them. There are so many, if we're talking about socioeconomic injustices, there are so many food programs. You can like even just our neighborhood alone, there's a huge food program where they make sandwiches every week or food every week and then give it out every Tuesday. And there's so many things that you can get involved with and everybody's just happy to see everybody there. Yeah. You know, like, there's no I th- we just you have to get over that hang up. It's a stupid hang up.
2: Get over yep. it. And listen, if somebody tells you that you that you don't belong in that space and you leave and then you keep yeah. trying, right? Yeah. Everything's yeah. not going to be perfect. Everything's not going to work out the way you think it should or the way you hope it would, but it shouldn't stop you from really living your core values, living in radical love, and really doing the things that's going to make a difference for your kids as they grow up.
0: I love it. I love the radical love. It makes me feel so good. (laughs) I just love that idea. It's, It's powerful, and it's empathetic, and it's compassionate all in one. I think, Tracy, you have put that in the best way possible. I do. And I'm really excited for listeners to check out your work, check out your book. Where can they find you on the internet? Where can they buy your book? Everything.
2: Yes, I call this the village. The Social Justice Parenting Village is on Instagram at Social Justice Parenting. That's where uh, the most action happens. Also, um, my website, same name, uh, www.socialjusticeparenting.com, gives an overview of kind of the things that I offer and um, a little bit more about me. Also, the book can be found uh, wherever wherever books are sold. You know, independent bookstores or Amazon, Barnes and Noble. All over.
0: Hell yeah. yeah. Well, Tracy, <laughs> thank you so much for sitting with me today. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I'm I mean, talk about expectations. I was, I had high expectations, and I've had the this conversation has met them. I've had a really lovely time. And I know you had laryngitis this week. And I feel so bad for making you talk to me for this long.
2: (laughs) No, this has been great. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for making it work. No, absolutely. Thank
0: you for making it work too. And like, feel better. Go drink all the honey tea, everything and feel better.
2: Yes. Thank you so much.
0: Absolutely, Tracy. Take care. So nice meeting you.
2: Okay. You too. Bye.
0: So glad that she sat down with us. I got so much out of that interview. And Tracy, I love, like she was just so open to... Fielding any question I had, a few of them, which I was nervous about, and just so gracious and so smart. And yeah, love that interview. And I hope you guys uh, feel the same way I did.
1: I hope that everyone loves this mailbag segment. <laughs> this is where you take questions from listeners, you answer them, and then we discuss.
0: <laughs> we discuss. All right. So, first question both of us discussing. It's It's a question for both of us. This person says, at-home date night ideas. Your date night episodes literally saved my relationship. And I got to say, I hope we didn't literally save your relationship. Like, I I don't like that your relationship was in a place that needed saving, although we all end up there at points. But so flattered and thank you. But we're going to hit you up with some date night ideas right now. I'm going to spit some out and then Shane can follow up with things that I missed.
1: Why are we doing that? Did they ask for date night ideas?
0: Yeah. At home, at home date night ideas. Oh, okay. Yeah. So first thing I say massage night, I say, get like some quality oils, get nice massage oils, nice scents that you actually like, and then do it right. Like get a massage playlist going. We like Bahamas on ours. We like Leon Bridges. Shane, who else goes on our massage playlist?
1: Pony by genuine on repeat. (laughs) And I don't think we play any other song actually.
0: And You're like,
2: actually, play it again.
0: <laughs> the neighbors banging on the window. Yeah. Stop it! <laughs> but actually put the work in and give each other a long and really good massage. Like look up techniques online if you can, but really try to make it professional i and
1: also recommend getting being the person to get the massage first
2: <laughs> yeah. it's
1: definitely a pro tip because sometimes the second massage may not happen
0: yeah but get the massage first don't tell your spouse be like oh you can massage me first and then that's it but it is so nice
1: didn't you have advice too that we never used which yes. is yeah
0: yeah so put a towel on your bed Okay, because the massage oil will get into your sheets and stain them. We don't do that. And we're telling you because we don't do that. And now all of our sheets have freaking massage oil. They're
1: transparent. Yeah,
0: (laughs) They are. And it's it's bad. So luckily, we don't have any expensive sheets. And the ones that were expensive are just now all greased up. But such a fun date night, such a relaxing date night and a happy date night. Next up that I would say game night game night this could be any game this could be jenga it could be a card game it could be what do we like playing connect for yeah. or you could like get into it with monopoly
1: scrabble i don't recommend it, it got pretty <laughs> heated in a bad if way you're,
0: if you're too competitive then yes but a, a game that is great that shane and i like and it doesn't matter if you're competitive or not because you're playing together is the newlywed game and we've talked about this before but they have all the old episodes of the game show on youtube So just go to YouTube. They're funny to watch in in their own. Like it's a TV show. But that is so fun to play along and actually try to win.
1: Because it's like a time machine into your own relationship. Because every question just shows how much you know about the other person and other moments in your relationship. And you're just reflecting back and going through those things and having a laugh. And something about that is just heartwarming.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, it's impossible not to be happy when you're talking about, you know, times when it was so hard to be anything but happy. So highly recommend that. Next, rent a movie night. If you have access to Prime or even YouTube has new movies that you can rent, like pay money for, like in theater type things. Rent a movie on YouTube. Order Cineplex. If you didn't know, you can order Cineplex from Uber Eats to your house and get movie popcorn to your house, which is just hilarious and fun but
1: like it's very opulent and unnecessary which is what makes it special
0: yes and what makes it a date night and it's so fun next we'd say wine tasting Shane suggested flight of beer tasting well if you're not
1: into wine yeah
0: yeah but doing that together like it's something that you're both engaged with you talk about things together you're doing something new together and then you know you you feel good from from the drinks that always feels nice. And then next, black tie cocktail night. So don't go fully black tie, obviously, if you're at home, but like get dressed up a little bit. Have a cocktail night. Get all the ingredients to make a wicked Paloma or Martini or Old Fashioned or something and make them together and have fun doing it. Throw in the bossa nova, feel classy. Or like a couple times during the pandemic, we there's a few cocktail bars in our city. So we got a cocktail kit from them And then had like access to all this stuff we wouldn't typically. Like I don't even know what some of these ingredients are. And then we made these super fancy cocktails at home, and it was so fun. Uh, Next, tub night. Got a big bathtub. Put some bubbles. Get in it. How many
1: people have a big enough bathtub for two?
0: We don't. My parents do.
1: I know, but we all know they're like it's like Richie Rich over there.
0: Well, if you have rich parents, then get on in their tub for a date night (laughs) because it's worth it. Uh, Next, music night. So this is just simply taking turns playing songs that you're excited about. So like some of the best date nights we've had, it'll just be Shane and I lying on the couch giving each other a foot massage, like really just relaxed and then each taking turns playing a song that we're really excited about that we want the other person to hear.
1: We did that the first time during a power outage. Yes. So we were forced to be creative and we thought we would never go back to that well, but it was surprisingly fun and meditative Mm -hmm. and relaxing and yeah, very cool. I think that's probably the thing we ended up doing the most, which is chilling on the couch and if not playing the you pick a song, I pick a song game, just picking like a bossa nova playlist and just chatting Mm -hmm. with each having about half a bottle of wine in us Mm -hmm. and it's something i would have never thought to do because it seems like that's not enough that's not an event we're not being
0: entertained
1: but it it just really is because it is it is probably the last thing you think to do
0: yeah it's just sit there with nothing essentially yeah but yeah i know it's the best uh next question do you ever think what your kids will be like when they grow up you know professionally it's fun to speculate so I don't necessarily think of what they'll be professionally like I make the same jokes every parent does where it's like oh she's gonna be an athlete she's gonna be a doctor or whatever but I I think I think about more what they will be like their personality types and and things like that what about you
1: yeah, I feel like Lucy has a thing for comedy and being chatty and social and outgoing. And I think she'd get a job probably I don't know, in entertainment in some regard. Oh, I could she's picture her a ham. Yeah, I, I could picture her doing similar things to what I do. And Betty is seems like she's gonna end up being a little quieter mm-hmm. and a little bit more athletic than Lucy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's way more athletic than yeah, Lucy. But Lucy that's still not doesn't hard to know do. how to
1: like roll a ball to someone. No, If
0: you throw Lucy anything, she will literally just put her hands out straight and like clap them together. She has zero natural inclination of what to do when something is thrown at her. You can't even
1: get her to clap her hands. She just lets the ball <laughs> hit her in the head. Yeah. Whereas Betty, from like birth, she can grip. A ball and throw it at you
0: yeah oh no she gets it she gets it way more it's really funny actually that kids either have it or don't in that regard at such a young age it's very hilarious
1: but betty has very little speaking ability right now right and you know every kid it's so funny like every kid has a, a superpower essentially they all get there eventually. Mm-hmm. Maybe not sports wise, but you know what I mean. It's like yeah. Betty's going to talk eventually.
0: Yeah. But then maybe will not be as loquacious or have as big a vocabulary as Lucy. So again, like that is totally Lucy's superpower. Yeah. But next question. Was there a moment that you two knew it was the right time to have kids? So I don't think there's ever a right time. I think some times are better than others, but I don't think there's like a magical time where you look at each other and you're like, oh, this is the right time because this is in place. This is in place. This is in place. There's always one thing in your life that's going to be chaotic and you just have to do it. If you both want kids and you know, you're stable enough financially, you're whatever, do it because you make it work and you budget. But we we just kind of, I think, out of love, wanted to expand the family. And we we're both at an age where we we're just ready for it. I don't think it was a specific moment, but we were just we were just ready for it. I don't
1: know. I was more calculating than you, I guess. I wanted to get married, mm-hmm. have a year without children, and then after that year was up, have kids. And we did that. That's we did. What we that. did.
0: Well, you're, you're a good uh, planner in the shadows there. Yeah, and
1: it doesn't always work out, you know things happen that can throw a monkey wrench in your plans but i definitely knew i wanted to have a very brief period that lasted at least a year where we could be without children
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no and
1: and i felt like the timing was right and to me there there is a right time, I don't know for me and mm-hmm. everyone has a different version of what that right time is. whether you can actually have the kids when you oh,
0: absolutely. Or
1: whether you're ever at that point in your career that you think is perfect and sometimes you have to force it in if you really want it more than you want it to be perfect.
0: Yeah, the time no, I agree. I totally agree. Uh, next question. Hypothetically, one man can impregnate nine women every day for nine months, which would result in 2,430 pregnancies. Why only nine? I don't know. (laughs) Given that number, do you think that men should take more responsibility for birth control? Overwhelmingly, yes, yes. And I can't believe it. It is so infuriating to me. And if I had a glass of wine right now, I'd go on for an hour about the patriarchy. But it is so infuriating to me that this is not something that's You know, readily available for men. It's so infuriating because right now there's condoms, which have a ninety-eight percent chance, but I mean that's available to anybody, men and women. Vasectomy. So essentially, we're going from something that you can find everywhere that is so common to a surgery that may or may not be reversible, yeah. Depending on the person,
1: exactly. Birth control. That's more total birth prevention. Yes, but, but but that's
0: the thing, and that's the problem here because it's like you can use a condom or you can get a surgery to actually tie or snip your tubes snip, and yeah. possibly have it not be reversed and that's something serious whereas for women it's like there's you know 20 different types of pill and then there's injections there's IUDs like all these things that are invasive as well whether it's invasive hormonally or through surgery like an IUD and there are so many options and the onus is placed on women entirely To manage birth control.
1: Yeah, I do think it's in the man's – it benefits the man if he can be in control because you can fully rely on yourself and trust yourself. Whereas, I don't know. I I don't like that decision being in someone else's hand. That's why I think when you talk about the patriarchy, I think if the patriarchy was smart – they would yeah. have made it for men first. <laughs> now, what sucks about birth control is it causes so many problems for so many women that it doesn't seem fair.
0: No, it's not. And, and now I feel like we should be able to have birth control that, you know, impacts people. I, hormonally, I was really impacted by birth control. Yes, yeah. But well, here's, there's the financial burden because it costs money every single month. You have to pay How money. much is that? I haven't taken them in like 10 years. I can't remember, but was it like 40 bucks a month, which is not accessible to everybody? You yeah, know, does, and, is, and that is. that is covered
1: hard. if you have a job like by insurance?
0: Probably. Oh, huh, interesting. I, okay, mine nice. wasn't though, right? Wow. I, I was younger taking it, so yeah. I was paying out of pocket. Uh, no, that's but there, tough. there is a birth control for men that is in trials right now. I, I can't say the full name just because it's like a long scientific thing, but it goes by an acronym DMAU. So I know that in late 2020. They had just finished the first human trials of it, and they went really well. And I, I don't know where they're at right now, but it's an injection. And I think injections, that, that is around for women, too. But So this is an injection, but come on. like There needs to be a pill for men, essentially. There needs to be. It It is so unfair that women— you it's know, unfair, the, the, But it's the brunt, unfair to men, too. Well, it's their fault. They're the ones that are funding these studies. They're the ones that are leading these teams. It's like— you start taking this crap that's going to impact your hormones or that's going to impact your wallet or whatever it is. Yeah, no, I, I think it should be available for everybody. And it is shocking to me that, you know, people are hanging out in space as, what do you call it? Like, they don't need to be in space. They're going up there for kicks. and Space
1: fun, I call it. <laughs>
0: space
1: fun. <laughs> yeah, these space parties need to stop.
0: There you go. I say we just sterilize all men until they're responsible enough to have children. Then pfft you know, reverse it.
1: All right. Well, that seems like a generic uh, blanket. I'm kidding. Unfair. Now
0: I'm just in my head getting angry about the patriarchy. But next question. Kids don't have filters. So what do you do when they say something embarrassing about somebody in public? So I haven't, luckily, not been in this position too many times. But with Lou, I just try to redirect. So I'll, I'll first sputter something out in a panic mode and I'll be like, Trying to make it seem like she wasn't talking about that specific person. And I'll say, oh, yeah, that, that was a funny experience last week. And then I'll try to redirect her and just get her the hell out of Dodge. But Shane, what do you do?
1: I've never really been in that situation. I've been in – Lou set me up once where we were on our front lawn and someone in a wheelchair – like an electric motorized wheelchair came yeah, by. Yeah. And she said, what's that? And when the person came by – at the time, this seemed like a good idea, but really it was very embarrassing. I said, that's cool.
2: <laughs>
1: and that wasn't Lou. The, like she just said, what's that? I could have had a great answer there. Instead, I was borderline condescending, patronizing when that person went by. And I felt like a damn fool. We ended up having Little Miss Maggie Yeah, on little the pod. Miss and she was giving me information on how to handle situations like that. Do I remember how to handle it? That's a good question that I think I know the answer is no, I don't remember what to exactly say, and I should listen to that episode. And last episode, or last recording, you said, and that's why we're always learning, right?
0: Yeah, that learning is a lifelong endeavor. And honestly, I want to go back and listen to that episode too, because I do know that she was so helpful. And listeners, you got to go back in here too, especially if you find that you don't know what to say in some of these awkward situations, especially when it does come to disability in any shape or form. Next question. How do you bring back flirting in the relationship? So this like playfulness, it all comes down to playfulness and playfulness is one of, it's so easy to lose when you are parenting, whether you've been together for a long time, whether you're busy at work, it's like, you know, Shane and I dealing with sick Lucy Sick Shane too, but sick Lucy. She's, you know, taking up our whole brains, our whole hearts, and it's really hard. We're exhausted. Uh, and she's exhausted, and it's hard to see. So we're communicating about Lou, about how to make her feel better. And then when we're not doing that, we're talking about business. So then, you know, playfulness is not a priority right now. Flirting is not a priority. But then it just so Would easily- you say a little minx? <laughs> Look at you
1: giggling like a schoolgirl. You know I like well,
0: do that. I I'm, I melt at any uh, any sign of flirtation. See, I'm already getting hot and bothered. I don't know what to say. I'm losing my words.
1: And now you flirt with me. Give people an example. Last in the last recording. <laughs> There was a 20-minute pause, and you had a complete (laughs) meltdown and didn't know what to say and told Erica, cut that part. Like, Well,
0: because I I wasn't ready to flirt on the spot. Well, now you're ready. You've
1: had some time to think about it. Let's hear some flirting.
0: Your jock could cut diamonds, and I cannot wait to put kisses all over it later after this podcast because I'm going to kiss you so much in that handsome face and run my hands through your Greek god hair.
1: My jock?
0: Your, Your jock.
1: Oh, I was going to say, this seems too sexual on the mic here.
0: Your jawline, you dink.
1: You're going to be kissing the jawline. Yes. I like that.
0: That's your face. I'm rub my hands through your hair and kiss your beautiful face because I love it so much. <laughs>
1: you're going to grab my rat's nest I have at the back of I'll my head. I'll brush it first, Ooh, Shane. Oh, I like a good brush.
0: Right? I'm going to go through that hair with a brush, make it all silky smooth, run my hands through it, plant some kisses on you. Then you're going to plant some kisses on me. Then before you know it, we're just going to be tangled up in a big kissy, cuddly thing on the couch.
1: So this is flirting? This just seems like... <laughs> Almost sex talk, but kind of just weird conversation (laughs) that's kind of complimentary. And
0: here lies the problem. We're out of practice. And how easy is it to get out of practice with your partner? Right? It's so easy because then flirting becomes something that you're uncomfortable with because you're scared of rejection. You're scared of actually flirting or you've freaking forgotten. Like, I feel like I have. Well, it's really hard
1: to flirt with somebody you're married to because comfort is flirt poison. Yeah. Like, a, I think a big part of flirting is not being comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. But but and here is where it might work in a marriage. It's uncomfortable to start flirting again because then, yes, you, you feel like you sound silly and you might and you're worried about actually getting rejected if you're being so upfront about things. So with that discomfort, flirting might... You might still be able to bring well, I th- back I flirty magic. I don't,
1: I don't even know if flirtation is possible because I feel like the key ingredient to flirtation is ambiguity.
0: No, it's, it's playfulness. How do I say that word? Yeah.
1: Ambiguity? I, I, I was practicing <laughs> my it. Brain my brain doesn't
0: work, Shane. In, it sounds right.
1: I don't think that's... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I wish I could say... In my mind, it sounds good. Ambiguity. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> ambiguity. And without that... It's impossible to flirt. So I, I I don't like the idea of flirting with your partner. I'm telling you, I think it's flawed and I think it's fake. And I think I don't it's, think
0: so. I think that's your personality. I think it's something
1: you read in Cosmo. That sounds great. That's not in practice. Can't happen.
0: Shane, I disagree. And I think it's because you have a stubborn ass personality.
1: Let's go play do playback on the flirting that just happened on this microphone. I'm going to grab your hair and <laughs> slap you down. And <laughs>
0: well, we're on mic. Like, but you're commenting me worked as a flirt yeah but it, maybe it, it, if you were here's the thing shane it's like you a direct more, thing if you were more receptive to playfulness and more willing to be playful and not so rational like whatever all the time who loves I being think,
1: tickled more than me
0: what you want to be tickled
1: for, for at least an hour tonight
0: i'll tickle you yeah <laughs> okay but listen ways to do this
1: grab a whole feather. question oh
0: no and this is something that's like super Cosmo-y, but it could work depending on your relationship. Sending sweet, and like it doesn't have to be sexy in the least, but just kind, sweet, cute, or saucy texts, right? And then it'll help get that connection going. Saucy's great. But maybe help get you out of... The box, because we all saw what a failure it was, me trying to flirt with Shane just now. But perhaps if I was doing it not on a microphone and not staring at him in the face while he's staring at me in the face with a microphone just waiting for me to say something, maybe it could have felt more secretive, right? Like I'm typing it on but, my phone and then putting saucy, it away. a
1: sexy way.
0: Yeah, I know, but that, and that's fine. Then maybe flirting comes out there and then maybe it gets to a point where you can maybe be flirty to each other. But even if you don't be flirty to each other to your face, maybe all you need to build up that anticipation and connection are like some saucy little text messages. And then maybe that's enough, right? Because then it just leads to anticipation of intimacy, which then makes intimacy more exciting and seem less, you know, rote, like it's not something you've done before. But another thing you could do is surprise each other. And Shane, this may seem like not a big deal, but when we are just laying on the couch, you know, if we've had a rough day or something like that, we'll just be watching TV. Then I'll hear a car door close and you'll be like, oh, that's the McFlurry guy. And then somebody's delivering McFlurries to our door and they are perfectly got the double score. They got the caramel swirl up in there. And then we sit on the couch and eat McFlurries and nothing makes me happier. And that little food surprise brightens me up, makes me feel so in love with you, and makes me feel like I want to plan all lots of smooches on your face, you sexy little guy. Man. <laughs> Still not working.
1: You're a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay.
0: The next thing and I found this was super interesting. So Tim David, he's an author and a brain science guy, Mm -hmm. a neuroscience person. So he talked about the emotional right brain and how your left eye connects you to that. So making eye contact between the two people's left eyes. As he says, there was a fascinating study that even found that on a first date, this technique builds intimacy very quickly and very powerfully. I don't know how you go about making eye connections solely with your left eye, but... There it is, and as Shane and I, or Shane was uh, specifically was bringing this up in regards to the first question about date nights, reminiscing, reminisce about a time that you were super flirty and that kind of thing came so easily and without inhibitions. Like it might now, because I feel inhibited to be flirty. It's it's hard, right? Because of the comfort and talk about those things. It's impossible not to feel good, like we said, when you're talking about those times, right? Talking about those naughty or spicy, whatever times you want to call them. And then kind of following that, tell your partner every day something that you love about them. Every day. And that can be so... I love how
1: naughty you are.
0: Get out of here. That can be so (laughs) connecting. And it can be so disarming. Because how can you be annoyed or upset With somebody, if they're sitting there and actually telling you a way that they love you or that you mean a lot to them. And I think that is one of the best ways to build up connection, especially if you feel like that slipped a little bit.
1: I'm trying to think if I've ever been naughty. Just when you were saying naughty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're too rational.
1: Why? Don't you call me rational? I'm too rational to be playful?
0: In certain ways, yeah.
1: Turn around and I'll hit your little bottom there.
0: <laughs> this is devolving. We, we got to make a quick exit out of here, Shane.
1: Okay. Well, I, I've just never been called rational before. I don't know whether to be insulted or flattered. <laughs> I like that, though, in a way. I think.
0: Well, you like it if you want.
1: Okay. Geez, We got a lot of editing to do on this episode. Man, I'm exhausted. Are you? <laughs> I'd, kill, I'd pay a million dollars to have that other recording back. Hey. Because the other one we had was so much better than this. Plus, I, I
0: think I think you're selling a short. I think it was a good episode. Good. I okay. do.
1: Can we end it, though?
0: Heck yeah, let's end it.
1: Okay. It's Thank, time. Could, was there any questions we missed, though, that we got last Yeah.
0: Time? Oh, good. Yeah. So, guys, there are three questions.
1: Which the, ones are the, they?
0: The, the, well, there, there are two fun ones and one real controversial just one. Just them
1: with me. The other two fun ones. I just want to.
0: All right. We're teasing these for next week. So one asks about sex on a first date, yes or no? Then meal planning. And then there's one, again, super heavy, super controversial, and, uh, We just, we're too tired to broach anything (laughs) controversial today.
1: Yeah. Next episode, we're going to kill it. I just really want to make up for it. Anyway, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Oh, geez.
0: You screwed it up, babe. Okay.
1: Thanks so much for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast, Podcast.
0: Episode 109.